Thank you for joining us this week on Southgate Student Ministry Podcast. This week, we start a new series called First Aid. We're going to dig into a first aid kit over the next several weeks and take those things and apply them to our lives. This week, we look at distilled water and we correlate it to the idea of baptism and what baptism means to our Christian life. begin the Wednesday night series that when we look at the rest of the year, you see it on the wall, November and December, you see it on the screen. Uh, We're calling it First Aid. This is going to take us through the end of 2019 into next year, which is 2020. The idea is First Aid because when we look at our spiritual life, there are times when we can feel wounded, when we can feel empty. There are times when we feel broken. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're sitting here and you're looking at your spiritual life and you're at a point where you feel worthless. You're at a point where you feel like your spiritual life is in the dumpster. You feel like it's not great. Maybe tonight, though, you're sitting here thinking, well, I don't have any wounds right now. I'm doing pretty great. But I'm going to say this. For all I've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, tells me that every single person in this room has wounds at some point in your life. And during this class, over the next uh, several weeks, we're going to explore uh, different things that you can find in a first aid kit that can apply to our spiritual lives and our spiritual healing. I did some research on like, what a good first aid kit looks like. Uh, a good first aid kit, um, what's one thing? I'm going to ask for like one thought. What's something that you would, yes, Matt? Band-aids. Band-aids. Yes, that was something that was on the list. Another thing. Disposable gloves, distilled water, stitches. There are a lot of other things that you can find in a a good first aid kit. But over November and December, the four things that we mentioned, uh, distilled water, band-aids, disposable gloves, and stitches are going to be things that we're going to look at as they relate to our spiritual life. Tonight, we're going to start out this series with the item of distilled water. Why might distilled water be important to a first aid kit? Why do you guys think distilled water could be important? Less. Use hydrated. Okay. Maybe dehydrated, wash something off. Yeah. It's simple. It's simply this idea of I don't know if you're normally drinking distilled water. I guess if you're really dehydrated, you could. But when you look at the idea of distilled water, the reason why you have that water in a first aid kit is because distilled water is the ultimate, like there are no chemicals in it, there's nothing in it, it is entirely just plain old H2O water. That's it. The point of it is, so when you clean a wound and a doctor's going to go in and operate and, or, or you're going to bandage it up, whatever it is, it makes sure there's not another chemical in there besides like the wound itself, so you're not sitting there stressed about which medicines and stuff you can use on it. It's, it's all um, left, it takes it back to its original state so you can operate and treat it properly. And I was sitting here and I was, I was thinking about this series and I was looking at items in a first aid kit and like thinking about different lessons we could do um, based on these things. And I realized that over my time at Southgate, we have not really spent any time, like extensive time, discussing what baptism 
really is. And I know that there are a lot of you in this room who might be sitting here saying, like, I've been baptized, I'm a Christian, I've made that decision, um, and that's awesome. I don't want to diminish that at all. I want that to be uh, known that, like, like, I'm pumped for you. Like, that's tremendous. That's amazing. But I also don't want you to check out of this class because you're going to sit there and be like, I've been there, I've done that. That's like, I've already made that decision, so I don't need to do that or think about it. Because what I hope we get to do tonight is go in and strengthen our perspective on what baptism is. And there's also a lot of you in this room tonight who will look at yourself and say, I haven't yet made a decision to really think about baptism. I haven't made that decision to go into the water. And maybe you're sitting there and you're saying, I really don't know much about what baptism is. I really haven't talked about it or thought about it a whole lot. And tonight we get the opportunity to discuss it. The first thing I want to discuss with this whole idea is baptism is the beginning. I want to think about distilled water again, which is the whole reason uh, why we're doing the first aid classes and like the whole illustration purposes. Um, use it, obviously, like I said a moment ago, for the purpose of cleaning a wound uh, that like to make it ready um, before operation, to get it back to its original state. Um, and I'm going to go out on a limb and make an assumption that, that I, and I'm like, when I imagine wounds, I imagine something really gruesome. Like, like as I was going through this and writing it, I was imagining like an arm, like half open, um, which is disgusting. But, you know, you clean it out a little bit uh, and it gets ready before any doctor goes in and, uh, and works on it. Before anything like that, you're getting it ready. And I think so often we're so guilty with this idea of studying baptism, with this idea of going in and having this discussion uh, where we sit here and talk about this, and we sit here and we talk about it like, yes, you need to be baptized, and, and we get to it, and we, we, we put someone in the water, and they come up out of the water, and we're like, yes, you're good, you're done, like, welcome to being a Christian, you're set, like, we're done with you for now. Last time we were in this class, we finished up our series in 1 John. We talked about the idea of being born again. We're going to come back to that in just a minute. But we talked about the idea of being born again and how that relates to baptism. And I can't help but think that when Jesus is sitting there telling someone, hey, how do you inherit eternal life? You need to be born again. I can't imagine Jesus would sit there and say, yes, and a year after you're born again or two months after you're born again or a couple weeks after you're born again, you just die. See, the whole point of our Christian walk isn't just to be born again. Just like the distilled water is what starts the process of that healing, what starts the process of, of the cleansing of our life, we must be cleansed before we can begin our walk. And we look at baptism and, and think about our lives and we think about what we've learned. If we look at baptism as like the pinnacle of Christianity, like, that is like the premier moment of your Christian walk when you are baptized into the water. If you sit there and you're like, that's my biggest moment, then I think we probably have misconstrued what Christianity is in our life. Because that's a really important part. But it's not the pinnacle of our walk. The pinnacle of our walk is the walk in itself. I have a good friend. I've talked about him before in this class. Um, we were in high school. He wasn't a Christian. He didn't go to church anywhere um, on the regular. And we studied together, and he was baptized, and I was just jacked up. 
I was like, yes, my friend just decided to become a Christian. He just decided to be baptized, and I'm feeling all good about it. And I'm walking in, and, and he's changed his life for the first month, and he, he reached out to me with biblical questions. He repented of a, a lot of things that he was going through in his everyday life, a lot of things that he was taking part in. And every single uh, time he mentioned something to me, I'd be like, yes, bro, great job, like, you're killing it. And I kind of left it at that. I didn't approach him. I didn't ask him if he wanted to join me at church that next Sunday. I never once encouraged him to be anything more than somebody who was just baptized. And if you were to talk to him today, say, hey man, when's the last time you set foot in the church building? There's a good chance that it was over a year ago. He had his wounds cleaned, cleansed. He had distilled water placed on his wounds, but the life-saving operation that takes place throughout the entirety of a lifetime never took place. It would be like cleaning a wound with water and leaving it there to rot, letting it become infected again. He was stuck, my friend was stuck at a point of a baptized person who didn't know where to go. And if we have this mindset that baptism is the end goal, that, that, that baptism is like the, the main point of Christianity, we will get stuck in a place where we're a baptized person who doesn't really know where to go. So when we talk about baptism this evening, and we talk about how important it is, how vital it is to our Christian walk, I don't want us to get this misconstrued conception that it is something that's like the pinnacle, the, the top moment of our Christian walk. What I want us to do now, though, is I want us to go through and discuss the importance of baptism. I often use, when I study with people, um, and if you've like studied or worked with me at all before, you know about this book. Maybe you've seen it places. I know they talked about it at EU last year, but there were only a few of us there. Um, shout out to this right EU. Uh, I think three of us in this room. Maybe there was another one. No, I think just one. three. Yes, it was awesome. Um, but this book, uh, and so I'm sorry if you've heard this story before, um, but there's a really neat story in here that I want to read. That, that I think is a great application as we begin this idea of what baptism is, as we begin this idea of what salvation is um, in this study. I want us to read this story because I think that it means something um, special. It's called Going to Gatlinburg. It's the picture of Gatlinburg. <laughs> I took that with my very own Kim. All right. <laughs> All right, so let's pretend that you want to go to Gatlinburg, but you have no idea how to get there. And so you shoot out a text to everyone in your phone saying, hey, I'm trying to get to Gatlinburg. If you can help me get there, give me a call. A few minutes go by and your phone rings. Hey, so you're, you're trying to get to Gatlinburg. Yes, thank you so much for calling me. Sure thing, I'm telling you, you have got to go there. It's beautiful this time of year. Yeah? Oh, absolutely. I think it's awesome that you want to go to Gatlinburg. I've always wanted to go there. Wait, so you've never actually been to Gatlinburg? You ask, well, technically no, but my parents told me how to get there. Oh, so your parents have been there. Well, no, not exactly, but they're good people. They wouldn't lead me astray. You can trust them. Okay, thanks, you say, and you hang up the phone. Your phone rings again. Hey, so, so you want to go to Gatlinburg, right? 
Yeah, I'm really glad you called. The last person I talked to hadn't ever been. So how do I get to Gatlinburg? Well, I'm really glad you asked. Uh, a few months ago, I went to Gatlinburg. Oh, perfect. Tell me more. Was it amazing? Oh, it was. It was the most amazing place you could ever imagine. I mean, when I was there, the feeling that I had was unbelievable. And when I woke up, the feeling that came over me, I could just feel this overwhelming sense of peace. Wait, so you've never actually been to Gatlinburg? Well, not exactly, but I dreamed the way. You politely tell them goodbye. Your phone rings again. Hello, how are you doing? Um, I'm good, who is this? Hey, I hear you're needing directions to Gatlinburg. Oh, right, thanks for calling me. I thought this was a pretty simple question, but so far I've gotten a couple people opinions on it and I'm still needing some help. Sure, I'm, I'm glad to help. My preacher told me how to get to Gatlinburg. Really? That's wonderful. Oh yeah, he's a good man. I love hearing him preach every week. He's been good to my family and he just always knows exactly what to say and what I need to get me through my week. And I'll never forget that night a few years back when he told me how to get to Gatlinburg. Amazing, so he's been there before? Well, no, he's never been to Gatlinburg, but I don't know if you heard me correctly. He's my preacher. He wouldn't lead anybody astray. Three different phone calls, three different opinions, but nobody has actually been there. Your phone rings again. You stare at the number, sigh deeply, and strongly consider letting it go to voicemail. I'll give it one more shot. You think to yourself, Hello, I was calling because you were interested in going to Gatlinburg. Was interested. You replied, What do you mean? Well, to be honest, sir, I mean, I used to want to go there, but now I'm not even sure Gatlinburg exists. So I'm just not sure I even care about going there anymore. I've talked to three different people about it, and everybody's got an opinion about it, but nobody has ever actually been there. I see, I see. Well, maybe I can help. I'm from Gatlinburg. Your ears perk up. Oh, you're from Gatlinburg? Yeah, that's where I'm from. In fact, not only that, I built Gatlinburg and the way to Gatlinburg. Talk about great news. We don't have to rely on anything else on how to get to heaven. And since I heard that story for the first time, it stood out in my mind. And every time I want to discuss this, I think that's an important thing to bring up. Because it's so important to understand that the way to get to heaven is not, hey, somebody told me how to get there, or this is the route that, that somebody else has told me, or my parents told me, or my preacher told me, or somebody had a dream about it. That's not it. When we sit here and we talk about the way to get to heaven, when we talk about the method we do things, the way we need to do it is go to the one who's been there, who created it, and created the way to get there. What I want us to do is walk through a couple ways, and then we can go through so many more, but for time's sake, we don't have a chance to go through Like I would love to sit down and go through every instance. If we had like four hours, I would definitely do that, um, but we do not. Um, but I want us to walk through a couple stories on our process of searching out the depth behind this idea of baptism. So open your Bibles to the book of Acts. We're going to look at the Acts story, and this is one of many stories in the book of Acts. 
um, that we can find in the discussion of this idea of what baptism is. So open to Acts chapter, we're going to be in chapter 2. I realize I did not say exactly where we're going to be, and all of you go from chapter 14 to chapter 2. Very um, Acts chapter 2, let's read verse 1. It says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. That's the apostles were all together in one place. That's so the day of Pentecost, which if you don't know, Pentecost takes place exactly 50 days after Passover. So here they are. They're sitting here. Passover was 50 days ago. Um, and and the, the apostles are no longer have Jesus with them. Jesus is ascended into heaven. They're all sitting together um, just a few days after Jesus has gone to heaven. Verse 5. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. All right, so what we're going to do, what we see here is that there are these devout Jews. Devout Jews in this time period would look at it and they would say, for every large Jewish feast, the devout Jews were going to come and they were going to, they were going to enclose on Jerusalem. Jerusalem was kind of the pinnacle of the Jew, it was the pinnacle of the Jewish culture. I've said pinnacle like 45 times tonight, and I apologize for that. But that's what they did. If you were a devout Jew, no matter where you were from, if you were from anywhere around the globe, you were going to uh, go to Jerusalem for these major feasts. And so the, the, the devout Jews are there for Pentecost. They were there for Passover. And if you can remember, so it's these same Jews that were at both feasts. And what happened at Passover 50 days ago was a pretty big deal. If you can remember, the Passover is when the crucifixion took place. When all these devout Jews who were back for Pentecost had stood in front of, of Pontius Pilate on that day when Jesus was arrested, and when Pilate was trying to set Jesus free, these were the Jews, the devout Jews who had come from all over to come to Jerusalem. These were the Jews that sat there and chanted at Jesus, crucify him. Crucify him. And now we have those people who are shouting, Crucify him, are sitting here watching an apostle come out of the house and do a miracle of speaking in their own native language. It would be like if, if you were standing here and, and one of you was from Spain and one of you was from France and the other one of you was from right here in Columbia, Tennessee and one person was speaking and you heard them in your language. One guy's talking and, and I'm French and I'm hearing him in French but my buddy who is from Spain is hearing it straight in Spanish. It's a weird moment. You're witnessing this weird thing taking place. And you probably recognize this guy Peter, as somebody who had been with Jesus. And Peter stands up, and keep in mind that all these people at this point are probably, the gospel on the street is about Jesus. Word has it that after the Passover, Jesus rose again. People are sitting here discussing this idea of Jesus, and Peter stands up, a follower of Jesus, and starts into a lesson that they're listening to because some weird stuff is going down at this moment. He goes through and takes them back through their history, and finally he gets to the hard-hitting point. That point in the lesson where, where everyone's like, ooh, that cuts deep. That, that touches my heart. Verse 32, this Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, 
And having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. By the way, the guy was Jesus. He was the Son of God. He's arisen back into heaven. You killed him. He came back alive. He's gone to heaven. Oh, and by the way, he poured out his Spirit upon us. That's why you're seeing all this weird, different language stuff. For David did not ascend into heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies my footstool. Peter goes and tells him exactly who Jesus was. That Jesus was God. And then verse 36, Let all the house of Israel therefore know, let everyone who's standing right here, right now know, who is here at, at Passover, who is here now at Pentecost, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made himself both Lord and Christ. The God that you worship has made himself both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Can you imagine standing there at that moment listening to those words? At that moment, you're a Jew who had sat there, and while Jesus was there, you had chanted, crucify him, crucify him. And now you're hearing a lesson being preached to you from this guy who has this weird, miraculous thing and a flame of fire above his head. And he's saying, oh, by the way, this God that you worship, he came in the flesh, his name was Jesus, and you put him on a cross and chanted to kill him. Can you imagine the overcoming feeling of remorse. Verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? You better believe they were asking, What shall we do? At that very moment, they realized that everything they had done was wrong. At that moment, they realized that Jesus coming to earth was, in fact, God in the flesh. The God who they had worshipped their entire lives. Remember, these are the devout Jews. These are the people who believed with everything they have. And they cried, what shall we do? And as we discuss this idea of baptism, I want to ask if you had that what shall we do moment. If you're in this room right now and decided to start this journey of Christianity, have you had that what shall we do moment? You probably have because you made the decision to start a journey of Christianity. When you decided to be baptized, when you decided to become a Christian, you saw your life was full of sin, and your reaction at that moment when you looked at yourself and said, man, I am full of sin, your reaction is what shall I do? And you wanted to know exactly what to do. Maybe you're sitting in this room, and you look at your life, and you see that it's full of sin. And you think in your hearts, or in your minds, what shall I do? But you haven't said a word to anyone. What are you waiting on? Are you waiting on more knowledge? Are you waiting to be perfect? Are you waiting to get through a tough time? See, the people in Acts 2, their mindset was, hey, we just put this God, Jesus, the God that we worship, we just put him on the cross. We know we did that. We believe that he exists. And, and the last thing they wanted to do was wait. The last thing they wanted to do was sit there and put it off because they knew that they had put Jesus 
on the cross. And yet we sit here and we're a people who has put Jesus on the cross with our sin. With every sin that we have in our life, we're sitting there uh, driving that nail into the cross along with the crowds. We're standing there with the crowds as every time we sin, chanting this idea of crucify him. Crucify him. Crucify him. We're in that crowd. We realize that we were in that crowd. We too should be falling to our knees having a what shall we do moment. What shall we do to be saved? When you walk into all different sects of Christianity, there are a lot of different ways that you're going to be told to do that. Now what I want to listen to and something as important as this is an apostle of Jesus Christ, one of the closest three apostles, the one who pretty much spent every waking hour with Jesus and Peter. I want to listen to what he has to say while he's being influenced by the Holy Spirit in this scripture. And he gets to Acts 2.38. He says, And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That what must we do moment turns into a repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. It's pretty plain. It's pretty simple. And I think that, that if we just finished with that, if we sat here and ended with that, I think it would be enough. But what I want us to do is I want us to sit there and look at a few ideas. You can sit there and maybe say, well, I think baptism is a great area in Scripture. And I just think that there are a lot of different things uh, that you could say about it. I just don't know uh, if it's necessary. I know there are some places where it says just to believe in Christ. Like what about John 3.16, right? God so loved the world, he sent his only begotten son. And whosoever believes in him shall not perish. Romans 10, 9 and 10, who confesses with his mouth shall be saved. You can sit there and bring up those verses and be like, why does that make sense? When the people in Acts 2 just sat there and, and, and begged uh, Peter to say, hey, what should we do? Um, what do we need to do to be saved? And Peter says, repent, be baptized. Why does it come to these passages and say, confess and believe? What's going on with this? A uh, little bit of confusion. I want us to sit here right now and go down through these processes and kind of discuss uh, and there are a lot more that we could go through and do this on but I wanted to choose these two because these are the most prominent um, I want us to think about John chapter 3 verse 16 this famous one probably the most famous passage in scripture and I want us to think about this idea of what takes place earlier in John chapter 3 I know a lot of us were in here, but if you weren't in here, I'm going to recap briefly. And early in John chapter 3, Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night, and, and he says, Hey, uh, what's it look like? What's salvation look like? What's all this? And Jesus says, If you're born again of water and the Spirit. That's his response to Nicodemus. That's in John chapter 3. That's what takes place just a few moments before John 3.16 happens. It's in the same conversation. It's, it's, uh, it's all in this moment 
when Jesus says these things. And so a lot of times we can sit here and say, okay, uh, this idea of John 3.16 says just believe in him. But what's Jesus also say? He says when you're born of water and the spirit. This is a process getting to it. One, water and the spirit very similarly relates to Acts chapter 2. Because you sit here and when Peter says repent and be baptized, that, that Greek word is immersion. So when you were immersed into the water, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of the sins of what you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So you're born of water in baptism and of the Spirit when the Spirit comes down on you. That's what Jesus is talking about earlier in John chapter 3. To understand this better, we need to talk about two different types of faith. There are two, there's an obligated faith and a responsive faith. An obligated faith and a responsive faith. An obligated faith is going to say that you have to earn your way to heaven. You have to have the works, you have to be perfect, you have to do everything right, and that will get you to heaven someday. We've discussed in this class how that mindset is incorrect. There's no way to earn your way into heaven. And so obligated faith isn't the, the proper way of thinking. Then there's the responsive faith that says you will be for, that you will be given uh, forgiveness from God constantly. That it's going to be something that, that is going to overcome you, but it's once you have chosen to follow him. If you remember talking about what we talked about in 1 John, this idea of walking in the light. That's what a response of faith is going to constantly heal you. And so what Jesus is talking about in John 3 and what we're going to see in Romans in just a moment is that he's referencing this response of faith. Yes, you've put on Christ in baptism. You've been washed in water in the spirit. You've been born again of water in the spirit. And here you're sitting and now you have a response of faith that when you believe in him throughout every moment of your life, you are going to be cleansed and you will enter into eternal life. I want us to go to Romans chapter 10 real quickly because I think this one is, is so confusing and, and no matter where you are, it can be like, really? Um, Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That seems... Pretty convincing. But how often do you read a book from back to front and have it make sense? Have it be in context? I've never read a book from the back page to the front page. That could be pretty entertaining. Sometimes with like a Harry Potter book. Um, I don't know. I've never read Harry Potter. But just, okay, sorry. Uh, off topic, off topic. Uh, but I sit here and I, you read that and it's like, Okay, where is this coming from, though? So go ahead and flip over to Romans chapter 6. Because what you're getting to is you read that verse in, in Romans chapter uh, 10. And, and yeah, it seems very obvious when you go straight to it. Hey, when you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you're going to be saved. But then you get to what the reader, if you're reading straight through Romans, like they would have been doing in the original context, you're going to have already read this passage, and it's going to cycle back to this idea of what a responsive faith is. This idea that once you have made a decision, that belief is constantly going to renew you. Um, so we're sitting here in this moment, and as we go through Romans chapter 6, which, spoilers about baptism, it's going to make Romans chapter 10 be a lot more clear when it's discussing this idea of what our faith is going to be and why our faith saves us. Now, I need one person 
uh, to volunteer to read for me in these moments. Colton, you got it. All right, I'm going to give you an idea. Go to Luke 23. Luke 23 for me. Um, I'm going to enter into this area. Does someone take my Sharpie? There you go. Thanks. Let's see, like, someone's going to grab that. All right, I know you guys. I'll move around so everyone can see this. All right, here's what I need you to do, Colton. I need you to read for me different passages, and we're going to try to break down um, <coughs> as it is. I've written up here, and I know um, those of you who have terrible eyes won't be able to read it, but this is Luke and Jesus, and this says Romans and us. All right, so, Colton, here's what I need you to read. Read Luke 23 to 46. Yes, loud and clear. Then Jesus, going out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. All right, so what happens to Jesus at this moment? He dies. All right, Jesus dies. I'm going to draw this up here, okay? There's a cross. How did Jesus die on the cross? How do you draw a stick figure on the cross? Okay, um, here we go. And his arms are on the cross. All right, there's Jesus, and he dies. Okay, sweet. Colton, read for me Luke 23, 52, and 53. The man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Wait, Jesus. Wait, real quickly, who's the man? Uh, Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea. There it is. All right, continue on with 20, 52 and He asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever yet been laid. All right, so we have this tomb. There's a stone in front of it. We get that from other contexts. Um, it's a grave. We're going to write R.I.P. on it, rest in peace. <laughs> He's like, He's not going to rest for that long. Um, all right, let's keep going. Uh, all right, Colton, go ahead and read. First, chapter 24, verse 5 and 6. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee? That the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and, and crucified on the third day rise. Whoa. So we get this. I just gave you a massive spoiler. Uh, the, the tomb is empty. Um, Jesus has. I just spelled it wrong. All right. So the tomb is empty. So Jesus has risen from the grave in this moment. And we sit here, and I realize none of you have been able to see this. Jesus has, has risen from the grave. The tomb is found empty. And because of this, there is a new covenant. He's out of the grave. He's free. Now, Colton, we're going to go through this really quickly. Romans chapter 6. Go back to it. All right. Read verse 2 and 3. By no means, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? All right. So we sit here and it says, hey, you've died to sin as a person. That's what you do when you follow Christ. So I'm going to write sin over here, and I'm going to write you over here. Uh, die to sin. Yes, that's what we're going to do. Die to sin. You've died to sin. All right, read for me <coughs> verse 4a to the first comma. We were buried, therefore, with him. By baptism into death. All right, stop right there. So we're buried there poor with him by baptism. I'm going to draw like a little pool. Um, that's water, okay? We're going to have transparent water. So it's like a glass infinity pool. Um, 
So you're standing there in the water and uh, you're getting baptized. Wow, those are some weird legs. Uh, all right, so you're you're in that moment. Go read the end of verse four. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. All right, sweet. So you sit here. You have uh, how is he floating in the water? Um, this is your guy who just baptized you, and you knew. So you're sitting here. This is quite fascinating drawings. Okay, so you're sitting here, and I want us to see the correlation that takes place here in the story of Jesus dying, being buried, and raising again to baptism. See, because when we look at it, it's not just a silly story. It's not something that we just talk about. We're not just reading Romans chapter 1 just to read it. I have a laser pointer. There's death, there's a grave, and there's a resurrection. It all takes place. It's all simultaneous. And I want to ask a serious question that like makes so much sense, and I know we're kind of short on time, but I want to ask a serious question that makes a whole lot of sense in this concept if, you're, if you are saved at the moment of belief, like the second you believe, if you are saved, why would you ever get baptized? If you're saved at the moment of belief, why would you ever get baptized? If Romans chapter 6 correlates baptism to this concept. If Romans chapter 6 uh, is an inspired word of God, which is, it is, if we were to sit here and say, okay, this makes sense. Uh, you die to sin, you're buried, and you're raised again. And just like being raised again started the new covenant, it starts a new covenant in your life. Why would you, if on the moment of belief, you were saved, why would you get baptized? And there's nobody who says, yes, belief saves you, that will say, yeah, don't get baptized. I drew a, uh, oh, I should have switched to that. I drew a uh, very terrible diagram earlier um, that will help us understand this. Um, all right, this guy, <laughs> stick figures for days. Um, he says, I'm alive in Christ because I believed in him. This is this concept, right? And then he goes on, and a guy comes up to him and says, you're blue as the water. A guy comes up to him and says, hey, <laughs> this actually means something. Well, you need to be baptized after you're alive. Okay, I get it. You've been saved. You need to be baptized. Why would you bury somebody alive? Why would you bury somebody alive? I know that's a weird image to have up there. But, and guys, I want this to be, uh, I'm going to switch out of this. Um, I want this to kind of be a serious thought. Because if you're alive in Christ, why would you ever go to the tomb? If, if on belief, you hit this moment where Jesus exited the tomb and there was the new covenant, why would we ever enter into the waters of baptism? Guys, it's, it's a little bit too simple to make difficult. Because when we read all these passages in the full context of, of what it is, it's pretty clear the direction that we're supposed to go. It's pretty clear that baptism is this means of salvation. That before we stop, start this operation of the Christian walk, we're to be baptized. 
The baptism is the distilled water in the first aid kit. Acts 22, 16 uh, says, And now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. I'm not trying to pressure you guys tonight. But if you're sitting in this room and you're like, I haven't made that decision to be baptized, yet I know I have sin, and I know I believe that Jesus is the Christ, people in Acts chapter 2 didn't wait because they knew that all they wanted to do was to be saved from what they had done. Baptism begins our Christian walk by killing off our old person. Guys, I'd love to study with you more if you're interested. If you're interested in breaking down, if you're like, yeah, there's this baptism thing, and I can go to a lot of other places in Scripture where I feel like this theory of baptism means something is debunked, and you're challenged by that right now, we have Treat Tuesdays, and if there's enough people, like we'll have like a full-out Bible study. There's a couch in there now. We can sit on the couch and have a Bible study. Um, but guys, tonight is the time, if you're ready, to be baptized into Him to start your Christian journey and have your sins washed away. Thank you so much for listening to this week's podcast. If you have questions about baptism, we would love to talk to you. Go to our website, southgatesm.org, and find our contact information and get in touch with us. We would love to study with you. Have a blessed day.